Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to Micah chapter 1. That psalm is another psalm from our friends up at Trinity Reformed, uh, My Soul Among Lions, and uh, it's another one of my favorites. Micah chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 tonight. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. The word of the Lord which came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. All of her earnings will be burned with fire. And all of her images I will make desolate. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings, and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to this passage that you would help us to understand its meaning and to apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would Illumine our minds and hearts by your spirit and bless every one of the thoughts and meditations of our heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. So this is the book of Micah coming at, we'll, we'll be going through this in the evening services, and so this is somewhat of an introduction, but we get into his, God's rebuke of Samaria and Jerusalem in this. Micah's name means, who is like Jehovah? Uh, who is like Jehovah? And he prophesied during the same time as Isaiah. So same kings that he was going at was, um, were Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And um, <clears throat> he's focused, it says, on those kings of Judah. So he's prophesying in, the, the, king, in the, uh, the, the land of Judah, and yet he has a lot to say about Samaria. And Samaria is in the northern kingdom. And Samaria is a representation of Israel in the north. And so he's... He's rebuking both, um, uh, both populations, the ten tribes in the north, the two in the south. He's, so why would God send two 
two prophets to the people. Well, he sent many prophets to the people, but two at the same time. And he says many of the same things that Isaiah says to uh, Israel and to Judah especially. He says many, many similar messages to prophets. So God, uh, re- God is leaving the people without excuse, right? You send one prophet and he announces, I mean like Isaiah, right? You send a prophet like Isaiah that's prophesying those glorious, um, long, uh, sustained rebukes of Judah and then um, follows that up with uh, Micah coming after him. So what's happening in, in Israel at the time? Well, <clears throat> sin, rebellion, idolatry, right? The, the elites, right? Those in power, uh, once again, are setting aside God's law for their own self-interests, right? That's what, we, that's what we saw in the book of James chapter 5, right? The rich were setting aside their interests and oppressing the poor, oppressing uh, the people of God. And so, that, again, there's nothing new under the sun. Oppression occurs all throughout the history of the sinful world. And so that's happening. Um, this, is, this is during kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, right? And so we need to, we need to place that in the history of Israel. Um, so Mike is prophesying from about 750 to 700 B.C. So seven. This is eight centuries, uh, seven centuries before Jesus comes. And if, so 750 to 700, something significant happens in the midst of that time period. What happens in the midst of that time period? Anybody know? I hear some whispers from the... Yeah, yeah. Um, Assyria comes and destroys Israel, right? Wipes them off the, 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 the planet, <laughs> exiles them, forces them off the land. That's basically happening from 740 to 722. 722, the work is done, but they've, they afflict Israel through that whole period. So Judah has the prophet sent to, to them, Isaiah and Micah, and they're watching Israel be destroyed, during this time period. They're looking just, you know, up the road, and they're seeing Israel being dragged off the land. And so that gives some extra added weight to the warning here that God would send these prophets while he's destroying 10 of the tribes, well, exiling them, the 10 of the tribes. And so uh, keep that in mind. Judah is watching this happen, and God is sending prophets in his mercy, telling them to repent, right? And that's what the prophets do. They always encourage. Yes, they're pronouncing woes, but there's always in the message of the prophets, return to me, right? Come back to me. Walk in my ways. And that is their purpose, is to call to repentance, much like the purpose should be uh, for pastors today. And so Judah is watching this happen. What are the specific sins of Judah? Well, here they are, profiteering. Profiteering. We could go to two, chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 2 of Micah, and it says, They covet fields, and they seize them, and houses, and take them away. They rob a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. 
3.11 says something similar. It says her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord saying, is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Right? So everybody's doing what they're doing just to make a buck. Just to make money. Right? No one cares about the truth. They just want money. And then there's injustice. We could look at 3, 1 through 4. And I said, hear now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones and chop them up as for the pot and as meat in the kettle. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. Right? So there's all kinds of injustice going on. Uh, the, the, the elites are oppressing the people. That continues in chapter 3, 9, and 10. Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice. They hate justice. And twist everything that is straight. Who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustice. There's no concern for true biblical justice. There's no concern for the people. And of course, there's idolatry. Chapter 5. Turn there. Chapter 5, 10 to 14. It will be in that day, declares the Lord, that I will cut cut your horses from among you. And destroy your chariots. I will also cut off the cities of your land and tear down all your fortifications. I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you will have fortune tellers no more. I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your ashram from among you and destroy your cities. Right, so there they are bowing down to carved images and bowing down to the work of their own hands rather than bowing down to the Lord. This is, this is what we read in Romans chapter 1 this morning, right? Worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And then uh, we can go to Isaiah and we can find this out too, right? If we go to Isaiah, we're going to find the same sort of message. And so um, if you turn to Isaiah, I just want to read... A little bit from what he says about the people during this time. This is what he says. Um, the vision of, this is chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons, I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly, they have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where Will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds. 
not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. He goes on, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. And he's speaking to Israel there, right? He's calling them Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Right? So you see a lot of overlap there between what Isaiah is saying of the people, the injustice that's going on, the bloodshed, the idolatry, the, the way they've manipulated the worship of God to suit their own ends and not be according to what God has laid out. Jeremiah, there's one other before we get into the verses. Jeremiah 26, verse 18 mentions, now Jeremiah is, is later, right? He comes after this is, when, uh, uh, this is when Judah goes into exile. And so uh, in 26.18, Judah says, or Jeremiah says to the people, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and he spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus, says, thus the Lord of hosts has said, Zion will be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem will become ruins, and the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest. And so J Jeremiah is living through that. Jeremiah is living through the exile and the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's remembering back to Micah saying, this is going to be a waste. Your iniquity is, is, um, has come up to my nostrils in a sense. All right, so let's turn back to Micah in chapter 1. Notice what it says first. It says, The word of the Lord came, which came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Right? The prophets receive the word of God. Prophets receive the word of God from God because it's inspired by him. The word of God is breathed out from him. And so the word of the prophets is received by them and they proclaim it. Truth comes by revelation, right? Truth doesn't come by the ingenuity or the intellect of the prophet. 
Truth comes by, by revelation. And that's what is said right here. The word of the Lord came to Micah, and he proclaimed it. <clears throat> okay? So who's Jotham? Good king or bad king? Right? In Judah, we have a choice, right? In Israel, we don't have a choice. They're all bad, right? They're all wicked. And they, they hated the Lord. But in the south, they, we, we have some good and some bad. Jotham... Um, Jotham, it says of him in 1 Corinthians 27, 6, so Jotham became mighty because he, um, he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. Okay? And so, yeah, fairly good king. He ordered his ways before the Lord. He was concerned uh, about the things of the Lord. What about Ahaz? Ooh. <laughs> Ahaz. Ahaz was a terrible king. He, he did much evil. This is what it says in 2 Kings 16. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Right? He walked like those northern kings. And even made his sons pass through the fire. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Right? So Ahaz made the children of Israel, his own children, other people's children, be sacrificed to Moloch. Right? Fire sacrifices to a false god. And because he's king, right, it's not that he does, it, nothing he does is done in private. What he does teaches the people to do the same, right? The father leads the family. The king shows the nation how to go. And so you know that idolatry spurns idolatry. If the king is an idolater, then he's going to lead the people into idolatry. And that's what he's done. What about Hezekiah? Good and troubled, right? Good because the scripture says he was good. Second Kings 18, 3 through 8. Um, and, and yet he, he shows what was his, his terrible deed. Assyria is knocking on the door, right? Doing their damage up in, in uh, Israel. And he's like, Come, let me show you my, my wealth, my treasury, right? And I, Isaiah is undone by it. Isaiah gets in Hezekiah's face and says, this is it. You've just, you've just destroyed your kingdom, right? And then Hezekiah is the king who, who says, well, he's the king, right? Who says, well, if it's good in my day, that's fine. Let the burden fall upon my sons. And um, that's terrible wickedness. There is nothing funny about that, right? That is, that is a, a terrible, terrible, selfish attitude uh, for a king. And so good and bad kings here, and the prophet has to speak in season and out of season to good kings and bad kings. Uh, when, when all appears good, 
And when things seem very far off, when, uh, when even before they're witnessing Israel being destroyed, the prophet still has to say hard words to the king, right? They, those prophets had to speak in season and out of season. And does God still speak this way today? Well, the work of the pastor in preaching God's word is is or should be very similar. You have to speak in season and out of season. You have to speak. Um, you have to speak in warning before anything has happened, right? And you have to prepare people for what's coming. And sometimes you just have to reflect back after people have gone through pain, and you need to lift them out of the out of the muck and the mire and the 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 weight and the the burden that they've been going through. And so. It's the, the pastor's call, the preach, preacher must uh, preach in season and out of season, just as the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. All right, so verse 2, we get the message of God. Hear, O peoples, all of you. And it's not just here, it's more emphatic. It's here with intent. It's hear and obey baked into that one word, right? It's never just hear. It's not just listen, you know, just listen to what I'm saying. It's, it's hear and let it sink into your heart, right? So that it affects what you do. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains. And let the, word, let the Lord God, Yahweh Adonai, be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And so God is coming to rebuke them, and he's speaking out of his holiness. He's speaking from the, the very heart of, of his presence, which is his holy temple. And God is coming to rebuke them because he is holy. Right? His, his, his demeanor... His character is to hate sin, right? Even as he loves sinners, right, he hates sin. He hates sin. He is holy, and he loves righteousness, and he sees his people. He sees his people suffering in their sins and going after their sins headlong, and what mercy there is that he would send a prophet to say, here, listen, Obey, hear this. Verse 3, for behold, Yahweh is coming forth from his place. Oh, he's not just speaking. He's coming. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All right, so God is going to come down and what is he going to tread on? What is he going to tread on? It's in the word. The answers are right here. The high places. Right? Now this could, you know, this could mean those high places that Hezekiah had set up all over the place. Or I think right at this point, it's more broadly, he and and where the passage goes is really interesting, but it's more broadly the high places are the places of power. He's talking about the places of power. He's talking about the places 
where these elites are leading the, the people into sin. And he's going to come down and he's going to tread on those places. He's going to destroy them as he's doing to Samaria as they speak. Right? Judah can sit there and watch this happen. God is at that moment treading down Samaria. And Judah, amazingly, is being warned again. And so the presence of the Lord is not always pleasant, right? He comes as judge. When he comes as judge, he is not one to vacillate because he's insecure, right? Or be like, well, maybe they're being wicked and maybe they're not being wicked and maybe I should be patient. He sees the hearts of men, right? He knows what we've done he knows all our sin and the sins of the nations and when he comes as judge when he comes as judge like he does at this time period he comes not as winds or fire raining down from heaven he comes as an army from another nation Right? He comes as an army through means like a foreign army, Assyria and then Babylon. He comes as judge. At times he comes as plagues. At times he comes as natural disasters. At times he comes um, in, in these ways. And he does so always with perfect justice. Perfect justice. He does not make errors in this. He does not overcorrect ever. He does not spank his children and then find out that they have a fever. He spakes them because they've sinned, right? Now, the the images here, mountains melting, valleys opening up into canyons, rushing floods coming down from a steep place. Um, those Those are all unimaginably strong forces there is no holding those things back, like, like water rushing down a steep place. There's no way to stop that from coming. There's no way to, to set up a block for that. They come with destruction. And as destructive as water is, there is nothing worse than having God as your enemy coming at you, Right? The one who called forth the mountains, who raised them up in the first place. There's nothing worse than having God as your enemy. Um, considering, consider this uh, encouragement, though, from Calvin. He says, when we become discouraged because of afflictions and assume that God has forgotten us or that God no longer worries about events that happen on the earth, right? That is one of our worries, isn't it? Haven't you forgotten about what's going on? I mean, look around, God. How long will this last? How long, O oh Lord? Right? That's what we're always asking. And Calvin's like, when, when you get into that mindset and that God no longer worries about events that happen on the earth, we must remember that Micah was addressing mankind's unbelief. For such unbelief implies that God no longer watches over us. Thus, when Micah proclaims that the Lord will come forth from his holy place, he is actually arming us with hope. Right? He's arming us with hope. Thus, 
If at first glance we miss this emphasis on God's desire to help us, let us at least entrust ourselves to God and call on God until he fulfills all that he has promised. Right? And this is a very difficult thing for 21st century American Christians to wrap their head around, and that is that there, that is that there is godliness in calling on God to judge his enemies. Right? We get uncomfortable singing imprecatory psalms. We get uncomfortable in, in calling on God to judge his and our enemies. But it is patterned for us continually. And, and, and Calvin is saying, there's hope in that. God is going to come and is going to set things straight and is going to judge. It's what I preached this morning. Jesus coming again, being our hope. And yet we know that he comes with a sword used to destroy the nations. So high places here, returning to that, high places. It could mean those high places of worship, all, you know, burning incense under trees and all those, um, uh, all those idolatrous little uh, um, franchises set up throughout Jerusalem, right? I take the meaning here to be more cosmic. I think he's speaking to the seats of power in this world. And Jesus and the rod of iron with which he strikes the nations would be a similar image. Calvin says his purpose is to threaten the public officials because he knows of their prideful and arrogant spirit. Right? He's, he's, uh, he's coming at the seats of power because they're drunk with power and they're abusive. And interestingly enough, in Calvin's sermon on this section of of Micah chapter 1, the first sermon in his series of sermons in a book on this, he now goes on to talk about how big cities lead us all into wickedness. And then he says, God judges big cities, God judges nations, big cities, little cities, and individuals last, right? But he says that, that but he, he for... Ten pages, he keeps going on about how the big cities of the world are just leading the world into sin, right? And, uh, and you have to read it. He makes a very powerful case in this. And who would disagree with that? You know? I mean, yeah, Tim Keller would disagree with that because he would say that, you know, the, the gospel pours forth from cities. But what we see is the exportation of all kinds of idolatry and filth from the great cities of America, right? And, you know, where, where, do, where do most of the children of our nation never see the light of day, right, in those big cities, right? And so there is, and, and think of Babel, right? Think of the, when I go to New York City, the two times I've been in New York City, you go into the city and you just forget there's a God because man is so impressive, and what he's done. You just forget about him. You feel as if man can accomplish anything just because of the activity and the heights of the buildings and the culture, and yet God can in a moment come down and tread on those cities. And he may do so even soon. And he has done so in our own nation. But those drunk with power 
I think these high places stand for that, and God is coming in to judge those high places. Now, the reason I say, okay, we can focus on big cities, and that could be a theme, is because look at where he goes in verse 5. Right? All of this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob, he asks. So he's talking about the northern kingdom. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Well, it's the city Samaria. And what is, what is the high place of Judah? The high place of Judah is Jerusalem itself, the city. Right? These cities have led the people. These cities where the king sits enthroned, leading the people astray, leading them into idolatry, are leading the nation into sin. And so he's, he's coming down to rebuke those drunk with power. And then you have to stop and think, well, we're all drunk with power, right? Have, Calvin says, have we not seen how even the average person daily abuses what little authority he has? Or how drunk persons become with their own uh, importance? Right. However small our domain is, we can become a tyrant there. We can become drunk with power, at, you know, at 929 St. Elmo's Court. That's my kingdom, right? Drunk with power. And when you're on prednisone, that does not help. <laughs> Sorry, love. <clears throat> we become captives of our own pride, right? Unable to humble ourselves before God's command. And, and so as God rebukes those in power, don't forget about your own sphere of authority and how you are living there. Um, God sees will humble the proud. God declares himself to, the, to be the enemy of all who exalt themselves with arrogance. Do you think about this? God declares himself to be the enemy of all who exalt themselves with arrogance. He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He is the enemy of the proud. Now, as for our nation, think back to the fact that... um, there's 130 years between these prophets, Isaiah and Micah, and the destruction of Jerusalem. 130 years. They prophesied these prophecies, and then Jerusalem is destroyed in whatever it is. What, what's the date? Um, 587. 700s to 587. 100, 130 years go by, Right? And so think of our own nation, right? 48 years of abortion legalized. 48, not 130 years. 48, 65 to 70 million children slaughtered in the womb, right? It may be that the theonomist may be in power in 70 years, Right? It may be that the post-millennialists will have taken the White House and the Congress, right, and the theonomists will be in power, and God will then say, now it's time for my judgment to come against this nation for the 130 years ago start of this bloodshed of abortion. They may have cleaned everything up, and God may still say it's too late. As he said to Josiah, 
for his grandfather's sin, right? He filled the streets of Jerusalem with blood, and Josiah reforms everything, right? Everything is getting in order, and God says, nope, too late, boom, you're gone. And that is his, his prerogative as the judge of the nations. The, the nations are a drop in the bucket to God. Verse 5, all of this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sin of the house of Israel. What is this rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is, this, what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Why has God said he would come in judgment? Because of the sins of Israel and Judah. Um, who does that include? When God comes in judgment, does he just judge the sinners? Does he just judge the, the wicked pagans who have spurned him. Now, usually he sweeps up the righteous and the wicked together when he comes in judgment. Of course, there's ultimately mercy in the death of the righteous. But he, in, in this life, he sweeps them up together. Um, but even when the entire body is infected, even if a few fingers enjoy health, the body as such is nevertheless ill body is. When God judges a people, the heat of his anger falls on the wicked and the righteous alike, and yet he has regard for his people like a father to his children. Does your father ever punish the whole household even though there is only one or two culprits in the house? Right? Fathers, you do that, right? I hope you do that. Right? Well, you know the culprit. You know the, the provocateur. And yet you punish everyone in your household, right? You punish everyone in your household. Yes, the, the cause, and, and, and God's, God, God is opposed to sin. It is antithetical to his very being, right? The cause of God's anger is, you know, it, it's not someone else's fault. It's because of your own sin says the prophet, right? And so in saying this, in the prophet saying this, and this is for the rebellion of Jacob, this is for the sins of the house of Israel, this is because of your sins, God is doing this because of your sins, this is all a call to repentance. And of course, wonderful prophecies of God's mercy come out in this book of Micah, right? But right now, the point is to say you've sinned, repent. You've sinned. I am coming at you because you've sinned. Whenever any difficulties come along in our lives, the key to view it is as a result of our sin and not because God is a tyrant. Right? God hates sin. That's a good thing for God to do. It makes him righteous. Right? But we want to say that God is a tyrant and that's why he comes against nations and he comes against me personally. No. No, we've sinned. We've all fallen short. And so all of his coming at us is... To, is a gracious call to repentance. It is discipline of a father. Verse 6 and 7, For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will put her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. All of her earnings will be burned with fire. And all of her images I will make desolate 
And then this strong statement, for she collected them from a harlot's earnings. What kind of harlotry? Well, idols are whoring after other gods, right? To go after idols is to whore after other gods when you've been married to Yahweh. That's what it is. Idolatry is uh, whoredom, and that's what the scripture calls it. And, to, and then he says, and to the earnings of a harlot, they will return, right? Um, again, uh, let's, let's compare Samaria and Jerusalem with Washington, Chicago, New York City, and Los Angeles, Right, the sins Micah rebukes in in Judah are profiteering. Do we have trouble with that in these cities of our nation? Profiteering, oppressing people for money, right? Filthy, filthy ways of increasing your wealth, cheating and stealing, and um, taking what doesn't belong to you. (laughs) Yeah, injustice. Do we have trouble here? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> sanctioned state murder of children, need I go on, right? We don't need to talk about anything other than that. Idolatry, do we have trouble here? Yes, idolatry all over the place, right? Um, profiteering, $27 trillion, mil, mil, $27 trillion debt, we're stealing from our great-grandchildren. You know, we've gotten way more sophisticated about stealing than Judah in Jerusalem. We've bankrupted our great-grandchildren's future so that we might be comfortable now. That's profiteering, right? Injustice. Babies in the womb do not have equal protection under our laws, though persons, right, in our streets and landfills flow with the blood of the slain. Idolatry. Replacing God with more user-friendly gods, the God of choice, the God of self, the God of money, the God of self-actualization, the God of self-determination, the God of scientism, the God of intellectualism, right? The God of, of man. All of these forms of idolatry are practiced and promoted. And so there's nothing new under the sun, but remember God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He witnesses our our leading cities as he did Samaria and Jerusalem then. And so the question is, how much longer will he forbear? I mean, seriously, how much longer will he forbear? Do we even feel as his people the burden of this? Do we feel like we need to intercede so that God doesn't come as a judge and destroy and sweep up the wicked and the righteous alike. Is there any work for the prophet to be doing today? Anything to be said, right? He witnesses our leading cities as he did Samaria and Jerusalem. And how much longer? Psalm 2, and I'll end here, Psalm 2, 10 and 12 reminds us of what... Our rulers need to remember. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Right, those high places, those powers. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. 
Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Right? That's the situation we're in as a nation. And this passage, even as we reflect on on 700 years of history, even it's weird. We Christians are fixated on history, right? Because we have a God who lays out history as a textbook for us, right? He shows us his will through history. And so we study history. But let's not be, be ignorant and think that God is not somehow maintaining vigilance on the sins of our own nation. He is. He knows the sins of all the nations of the world, and he will come as a judge against them. The Roman Empire fell. No one thought it would, (laughs) right? And we're just a drop in the bucket compared to the Roman Empire, right? Maybe not in our wickedness, but in the length of time we've been around for sure. And so these, this book, this book will, will lead us through this and lead us through um, this call to repentance. And we'll see throughout it, a, a, once again, in the midst of God's judgment, he shows mercy because he will point in this book toward his son who will come from a little, little town in the hills outside of Jerusalem. Right? What a wonderful thing. That salvation would come that way and rescue would come from such a humble place. That is, again, how the way, the way the Lord works. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. I pray that you would cause us to, to tremble before you and to fear you. That the fear of the Lord would not be just something we talk about and, and, and espouse with words, but that it would be something that we feel in our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would truly tremble before you as we see the wickedness of our nation. That we would cry out to you for mercy. That we would cry out for you for deliverance, but we would also cry out that the wicked would be punished. And we would rest in that. Father, I pray that you would help us to be to patiently endure. I, help, I, I pray that you would, you would help us to love, to love our neighbors and to warn them to flee from the wrath that's coming. Father, I pray that, that the, the remembrance of Samaria's destruction and Jerusalem's exile... Father, would, would inform our words, would inform our actions, would inform our, uh, our ministry, Lord, and that we would uh, continue to pour forth your warnings from your word that you have given to us. Lord, have mercy upon us. We do ask that you would, in your providence, however that may come, end the bloodshed of our nation. That we would love what you have knit together in the womb. Father, that we would love our children and our grandchildren, that we would do what is righteous, which is to lay up for them an inheritance. And that means both the faith and 
wealth. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be uh, to, to not be like King Hezekiah, who was rebuked by Micah and Isaiah, and just be content with peace during our own time. Uh, Father, I pray that you would, you would help us. I pray that we would love your son and seek our refuge in him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.